Welcome to the Guildhall School Events podcast and I'm delighted to welcome Ian Burnside. Ian is a professor at the school but has also written and is directing a new play called A Soldier and a Maker which focuses on the songs, poems and letters of Ivor Gurney and opens at the Barbican Pit Theatre on Friday the 20th of April. So welcome Ian. Thank you. Um, This is a brand new play about the life of Ivor Gurney which you've written. What brought about the idea? Well, I was doing a CD of Gurney songs uh, with my uh, mezzo colleague Susan Bickley and uh, as part of the research for that I was reading bits and pieces about this extraordinary man and um, Gurney had a rather tragic life which is kind of well known and acknowledged but what's much less well known is that he was actually a very um, witty and funny man. I was reading a lot of his letters and uh, we now, because he ended his life in a mental asylum, we tend to look down our historical telescope at this rather tragic figure, not seeing the uh, tremendously high-energy, vigorous young man from the Cotswolds who bounded into the Royal College of Music before the First World War. So um, I, I made a couple of different attempts at, at stitching together some songs, some letters, some poems, um, but none of them really worked terribly well. And as a follow-up to my last staged project here at the Guildhall School, I started playing around with it on a rather bigger scale and writing some linking bits. And then the linking bits just took over, really, and I did a few links and thought, no, that's still really boring, let's do, let's join these up here, and oh, we need another character there. And it rather grew like Topsy, and uh, halfway through I thought, oh, no, I'm writing a play, I'm not meant to be doing that, I'm not a playwright. And then I, I thought, don't, don't be silly, just do it and see what comes out. So it's been quite, it's been quite a long time in gestation, as you know, Joe. We, we, we sort of trial ran it last year and put on private performances. And that was great because we recorded those and I could then take it away, look and see what worked, what didn't work. And I hope I've made better the duff bits. And, uh, and here we are. And uh, many people won't know much about Ivor Gurney. Um, as you said, he's, he's relatively unknown in, in he, the British he, composer states. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Well, uh, well, partly because of the extraordinary circumstances of his life, just as he was getting going as a, as a kind of mature student. Um, the First World War came along and he enlisted as a, as a private in the Second Fifth Gloucesters. And he fought in the Battle of the Somme and at Ypres, and it was all very dreadful and very terrible. And he had some what we would now call mental health issues, uh, even before he fought in the Battle of the Somme. But those experiences certainly didn't help him. So when he came back, it has a lot of resonance with soldiers now coming back from Afghanistan and formerly Iraq, because uh, he came back into a society which didn't fully understand what he'd been through. And it wasn't a very emotionally sharing time, as we would now consider it. And so when he, when he came back as a civilian, he didn't really get on. Um, and his mental problems became worse. Um, he wasn't just writing music all this time, though. He was also writing poetry. One of the interesting things about Gurney is that he, he is now equally acclaimed as a poet and a composer. And hence, in the title of our play, he, he, he preferred to describe himself as a maker, using an, a much older English term, um, which we pick up on in the title. And the play involves 16 singers, two pianists, and of course the actor Richard Goulding, um, who graduated from here a few years ago, and it pulls together a large amount of material. So how do you go about rehearsing and directing something on that scale? <laughs> With great difficulty. Well, I have a wonderful team. It's a very collaborative process. 
and I am merely in the in the uh, kind of epicenter of a of a really very gifted team. We have a um, wonderful movement director Victoria Newlin, who's a graduate herself of the drama department here, and who works um, with singers and actors. And um, she has done various uh, choreographed numbers, but also helps with the whole physical flow of the play. We have a husband and wife design team, uh, Giuseppe and Emma Belli, who have uh, created an amazing set and wonderful costumes. And um, Richard Goulding himself is more than just the, the, the star actor in this. He, he's the only trained actor as such, um, playing the, the central role of Ivor Gurney, but he's also a very creative man. And um, he gives me a huge amount of um, artistic input in the course of rehearsals, or he asks um, tricky questions. Uh, when the girls walk across there, am I summoning them in my mind, or am I reacting to them walking on? Questions which is a director, never mind the writer, I should really have thought of. And I tend to say, well, that's a really good question, Richard. I wonder, let me just, I'll get back to you in that. And usually by then he solved the problem anyway. So uh, it's great because, again, he just brings different skill set to the table. And, I mean, I, I hope I'm the first to recognise uh, where my weaknesses are and and my inexperiences because, uh, you know, I've, I'm a relative newcomer to this game, but uh, is it ever good fun learning? And... and I look at it a bit like doing up a house. You can you, you only learn by doing it. And after you've done one, well, you can move on and do the next, and hopefully that'll be a bit better. You've directed this kind of music theatre at the school um, before, um, and it's quite a unique concept, isn't it? How did you become interested in this format where you have poetry and song and you weave it together? Well, I became... Uh, my day job, if you like, is as a, an, an accompanist. I play a lot with singers, and I do a lot of song recitals. And... Um, and I go to some song recitals too, and sometimes I've been sat in, in a hall listening to, it could be a very fine world-class singer, but just thinking this is a really rather dull way of spending an evening, and even though I love this person's voice and I love the songs they're singing, can't we do something a bit more interesting with this? And so, with the students, um, I've spent many years doing song classes with Guildhall students in various languages and styles, and... Um, when you're working with these young artists in their early 20s mostly, they're all straining at the leash to get on stage. They're all wanting to be opera singers, they're all wanting to engage physically, they're dying to do it. And song for them is often something that's rather dull, it's second best to singing an opera aria. Now I personally don't feel that way, so my mission a few years back was to try and shake it up a bit and see if we couldn't make it a bit sexier and a bit more fun and a bit more engaging for the students. And so the first rather experimental thing I did involved a boy cycling in in a bicycle. We did we took all the chairs out of the music hall, and we had platforms, and it was all it was all it looked a bit like a sort of hippie, hippie event from Los Angeles in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> we we had an Icelandic boy cycling in in a bicycle singing the first song of Schumann's Dichter Lieber, and we had people pushing these platforms around with pianos on them, and it was all good, clean fun, and people were it must have looked like a GCSE drama project, but everyone was terribly nice about it, and most of all we enjoyed doing it and. And the students who were singing that material, I think, were very energised by it. And when they came to sing those songs again in the crook of the piano for their exam or whatever they were doing, I think they maybe brought a different energy to it. So that was really what got me going. And, well, the school has very generously and very kindly let me play with this particular toy box ever since. So we've, we've just kept going, really. And, uh, and suddenly here we are with this with eight performances of this enormous play. So it, I don't know. It's just It feels a very organic process to me because I've been doing it for the best part of 10 years now but to anyone looking in from the outside it probably seems mad I would just point out though that the Guildhall is the only um, institution 
certainly in London that could put this on. There's, there's perhaps one or two others in other parts of Great Britain. But of the London Conservatoires, we are the only institution which could do this because of the collaboration with the drama department and also technical theatre, who have provided marvellous stage management crew. And uh, they, they are also a vital part of the collaborative process and a very nurturing one too. They're terribly nice to me and they keep reassuring me it's all going to be okay in the end. And <laughs> um, what do you think students gain from working on a project? Cause they're working in a very different way to the way they usually do. They're working with a narrative, aren't they? Yeah. But with lots of um, eclectic material. That's right. Well, I think the, the main thing they gain from it is teamwork. Because at this point in their studies, the singers are quite isolated. It's all about their individual singing. They have their individual lessons. They stand up and sing in song classes. They do projects, and they are doing some stage work. But there's nothing like the intensity of... Uh, big piece in the scale that really has come their way and for a lot of them it's their first experience of this big sort of um, collaborative effort so th that is the first thing they get me breathing down their neck constantly because I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I think the things uh, they're at this particular stage in the rehearsal process I'm driving them all crazy because they're doing things in a way where they think oh that'll do that's fine What's he making a fuss about? But I carry on making a fuss and saying, no, it has to be a bit better than that for these reasons. And I think, you know, there are different phases of this process. And as I say, there it's a bit darkest before dawn at the moment. We've got a week before we open. And I think some of them are a bit frustrated or champing at the bit or thinking, oh, shut up, Burnside, let's, let us just do it. But I'm at the stage to make it better. And I, and I know from experience that when they actually get into the theatre, we get to the performance. It's the difference between something being good and something being very good. And... Um, it sounds very smug, but I think they will thank me in the end. What's also interesting is that this year we have about half the cast were in the show last year. Okay. In our in our workshop version, uh, quite a lot of them now are in different roles. We've switched them around a bit because we don't want people to get bored. A couple of people are in the same, three or four people are in the same roles they were in, and others have stayed in the cast but in different roles. And then we have a whole influx of new and in some cases quite young um, students from the school. We have some third year undergraduates. Uh, up against some, you know, second-year postgrads. So it's quite a big age range mm. within the school demographic. And it's also been wonderful to see how the old lags um, are kind of anchoring the show and are being very nurturing with their younger colleagues. And there's something wonderful about that. And it's very good, you know, the, the, the students spend a lot of time in their year groups of necessity. And it's great to have a project like this which goes across it. The other huge thing to get is working with Richard Goulding. And, I mean, the, the, I cannot describe how much he gives them and how much he leads from example and just watching the process of a wonderful young actor like that seeing how he behaves in rehearsal seeing how he uses his time when he's not on stage seeing how he comports himself all of that just leads he is really leading from the front and leading by example in a very moving way and the themes in A Soldier and a Maker you already mentioned the very prescient fallout from war mental health issues and so on do you think it's important for students to explore contemporary themes like that? Oh, always, and to see that, to see that, um, to see that, in a sense, none of this changes. That we have to reinvent our our society is adapting to new technology and all sorts of things. And in terms of warfare, we now have you know um, college kids sitting in in Utah who press a button and a drone falls out of the sky in Pakistan and people are killed. I mean, warfare is different, the nature of combat is different, but the human situation remains the same. And if you've been on the ground seeing those charred bodies in Pakistan and you then have to come back either to 
Britain or to America or to wherever you're from, and then you find people shopping in the supermarket who don't think you should be there in the first place or who certainly don't understand what you've been through, that situation is the same as in Ivor Gurney's day. And I think this this makes them... I don't. I mean, we haven't directed it from a, 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 an explicitly political point of view, but I think, you know, once, once a 20-year-old singing undergraduate has put on a First World War uniform, then I think they will engage with First World War material in a different way forever because because they are literally walking in their shoes. And um, and it affects different people in, in different ways. And, and I know that some of the cast get very emotional about it because there's one scene in the second act of this where um, Ivor Gurney is injected with malaria intentionally. It's one of the things they did in the asylum. They thought it might reboot him in some way. And so they, they inject him with fever. And during, during a song, we see Ivor writhing on the bed, uh, shaking very violently with this fever that has been intentionally induced. And uh, one of the cast last year, <laughs> uh, who has to appear in a scene just after that, who plays one of the doctors, uh, said unforgettably that he wasn't able to watch Richard do that in the bed because it just upset him too much. Yeah. And he just couldn't he just couldn't take it. And when that was happening he had to go into the wings and focus in a different way because it was just overwhelming. Well I think that's fantastic because it shows you that he I mean, he knows it's Richard, he knows he's acting, but he, he was so in the situation that it really it really moved him. So I, I think we've achieved something when you hear stories like that. Yeah. Well, finally, um, you're a pianist, but a lot of your work at Guildhall, as you've, you've already said, brings singers and pianists together. Um, do you think there's something special about Guildhall's training of singers and pianists um, that stands out? Yes, I think, I think traditionally we've always been very good at training both, and I think we have a wonderful faculty in both sides at the moment. Um, I mean, other music colleges are producing wonderful talent too in both those okay, spheres, and yeah. there's no grounds for complacency. Yeah, but I think we can hold our, our heads very high in, in, in both those worlds, and I think the calibre of, of student that we have applying is also a testimony to, the, to the, um, the work that my colleagues have been doing here for decades, really. Great. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you, Ian. Um, we are very much looking forward to A Soldier and a Maker, which opens at the Barbican Pit Theatre on Friday the 20th of April. Tickets at the Barbican Box Office. Um, thank you very much again. It's thank been a real you. pleasure. Thanks, John.